uh, you may have noticed that uh, we cut out some verses when we were singing. And uh, that's because yesterday when I told Josh that my sermon had 10 points, he was like, well, uh, we're not going to sing a whole lot then. Because he knew what was coming. But let me assure you, I'm not preaching all 10 points today as the Spirit helped in my preparation to say, hey, we're going to stop here. And then we're going to pick it up next week, partially because of traveling this week. I want to be very clear about the things that I say, especially on next week. And that doesn't mean that I'm not trying to be clear on any normal week. Uh, but you understand the point. There are some heavy things related to the return of Christ that uh, we need to be careful when we say them. So I want to practice that. As I preach to you, I want to invite you to go to 1 Thessalonians 4, and we're going to be covering verses 13 through 18 this morning. And by way of introduction, um, when it comes to words, we live in a culture, we live in a society right now where words so often have become weapons. We use what people say, even if it's just a sound bite, we use what people say, maybe sometimes out of context, in order to uh, publicly demonize them and show that we are not in that camp, so to speak. We are not like them. We oppose them. We use words as weapons. It's promoted in our society. And I would say we need to be careful when we come to the word of Scripture that we are not using what has been said as weapons, especially as weapons against those to which we've been called to love, namely those brothers and sisters in the local church. I imagine that concerning our text today and the text for the next couple of weeks, going into even chapter 5, I imagine that if Paul... If he knows, or if maybe in his day, he was, he was one that was familiar with people twisting his words, I wonder how grieved he would be at the way that many of these words have been used to simply argue. Why do I say this? Because at the end of our text today, you'll read this verse, verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words encourage one another with, with these words. So when we read our text for today, don't automatically go to all the things that make you different from that group or this group or how they're wrong and you're right. He doesn't say, now argue with one another using these words. Divide with one another using these words. Not what he says, encourage one another with these words. Let's read the text and we'll pray. He says, verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask for your help here and now for understanding that only comes from heaven. Father, we do recognize that there are a lot of questions that we so desperately want answers to. And in some of those questions, it's clear from your word that you've not given us a clear answer. And we pray that we could operate truly as those people with faith, putting emphasis on the things that we do know, the truth of the gospel, your glory, among the nations, mission, our responsibility to make disciples, that we may not stray from the essentials of the Christian faith and that we would have charity in all the ways that we may have different interpretations on minor things. We pray, Father, you help us. Give us unity and understanding through the ministry of the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the title that I'm giving the sermon today in our series, More and More, Walking Through First Thessalonians, title today is Truth for Uncertainty. Truth for Uncertainty. And as you've heard, the point of this text is to bring encouragement to one another. And that's what I hope to do for you today and next week. Our theme this morning is an informed faith in the risen Christ calms uncertainty about future events. An informed faith in the risen Christ calms uncertainty about future events. And I want to give you uh, several encouragements. They're going to come in groups. Uh, There's three groups of encouragements. First off, there are uh, encouragements concerning those saints asleep. And then secondly, there are those encouragements concerning those saints alive, and then thirdly, concerning the stunning event, okay? So to, uh, this, this morning, we're going to cover the first two, hopefully, and uh, then get to that third one on next week. So I want to give you some encouragements here concerning those saints that are asleep. This covers verses 13 and 14. Now, you notice I, I have quotations around asleep. And this ought to be obvious to you, but when Paul writes here, he refers to those who are dead as those who are asleep. This is a, a, a metaphor that helps us understand what's going on. And this is not something that was original to Paul. It was actually something used in their culture abroad. But honestly, doesn't it have more meaning to say that believers are simply asleep when they die? Because of our doctrine. Doesn't it make more sense? Do you remember Jairus' daughter? Do you remember what Jesus said when he approached after he had been delayed, right? The, the woman touched his garment and he was taken aside by this 
this uh, event in the middle of the crowd. And then they get to the end of that event. And then they're like, hey, well, by now this girl is dead. In fact, she was dead. But you know what Jesus says? She's not dead. She's only sleeping. See, Jesus understood and taught this reality for believers because it reminds us of his resurrection and our coming resurrection. It reminds us that the grave is not our permanent resting place, but our body will be raised, some to everlasting life, and as the Bible tells us, some to everlasting torment in hell. But we have these questions that linger about, okay, well, what's, what's going on in the meantime then? What's, what's the state of believers between physical death and physical resurrection? It's not as some argue, and maybe you've heard the phrase soul sleep, as if you sort of go into the state of not really existing for a little while. No, no. False teachers will tell you that. But right here, as our body is laid in the grave, we encounter another element of that not yet already tension. So, so we're already something, but we're not yet what we will be. And this characterizes all of our lives in so many different ways as believers. Hear what Paul says to the Corinthians regarding the body dying and being put in the ground. He says, 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, our earthly dwelling, that body, we know that if that tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And that same chapter in verse 8, he says, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Maybe you've heard it this way. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when your body goes into the ground, it's not just, a, okay, now I'm sort of in a trance until, you know, the day comes when my body is raised. No, when the body goes into the ground, your very soul is with the Lord Jesus himself, and yet you are still looking forward to your bodily resurrection. So... He says, those who are asleep. You know, Paul had this own wrestling in his, in his earthly life, didn't he? At the beginning of Philippians, as he's in prison, writing, he says, look, I'm torn between going home to be with the Lord and staying here and ministering to you all. He says, it would be far better. It is far better to depart and be with the Lord. In his mind and in his doctrine, his teaching for us to leave the body when that body dies is to be with the Lord. So when we say asleep, we recognize that the body lies dead, but the soul of the believer is present with the Lord. And you're already getting a sense of that, that comforting encouragement. Concerning those saints asleep, he begins with these encouragements. First off, be informed, not ignorant. Be informed, not ignorant. 
the, the text as I read it says, we don't want you to be uninformed. Really, the best word is ignorant. Brothers, and he's, he's not like belittling them. He calls them uh, brothers. He's saying, look, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things, but be informed. So you see these Thessalonian believers needed further instruction on these matters because they apparently had not gotten the whole picture. Remember, the Bible is still being written as they are believing. Okay? So they needed further instruction because they had many more questions that this uh, Bible that was in process had not answered yet. And so their questions were totally legitimate. And we have questions that kind of fall in this vein, don't we? We have questions. What will it be like in the new creation? You know what? The question I get more than any other about heaven or the new creation, will I know my spouse as my spouse? More than any other question. And I mean, I can, I can try to answer those as best as I understand it, but we don't have a whole lot to go on, Right? We can, we can make inferences. There's a lot of questions that we have. Just, they, just don't give, um, they just don't get really solid, clear, assuring answers, and that's where our faith has to come into play. Will I have all the memories? I mean, yeah, I think so, but is it really going to matter? Like the presence of Jesus? So there's a lot of questions. We could go on and on about these questions. But what was clear is that these people were uncertain. What about those folks that have died? And this is a far more important matter than will I have all my memories. They're uncertain about what actually happens to those who have already died before Christ's return. So I want you to note, these people expected Jesus to return at any moment. Yeah, Yeah, 1950 years ago, Christians actually believed they were going to be taken up by the Lord. So we don't want to get to be a prisoner of the moment, okay? And say, oh, well, they just didn't understand anything. Obviously, we live in the day when all this crazy stuff is happening. So, yeah, we're the last generation of Christians on this earth. Do you realize every generation of Christians believed that they were going to be the ones And you know that's exactly what God intends? You believing that Jesus could return at any moment is exactly what the scriptures expect from you, believer. And so they're like, these people who have died, they didn't get to stick around long enough to get get taken up, as this teaching tells us. What, what, What happens to them, Paul? So they're concerned that they're actually going to miss the return of Christ. These that have died, they're going to miss that glorious day, so Paul brings this comfort and encouragement, but he says, be informed, not ignorant. Unlike the Thessalonian church, we have the whole counsel of God's word. The whole counsel of God's word. So we are not awaiting further instruction. We don't have to write a letter to the apostle and say, hey, hey, we're not sure about what we ought to know here. Can you tell us? No, we have the completed word of God. We have this letter that gives us these instructions. Their ignorance had good reason. Folks, if you are ignorant about what the Bible says, you have no good reason. 
you have no good reason. You know, in some places, this word uninformed, this word ignorance, some places it's translated willful ignorance. But there are no excuses, believer. Everything that God intended for you to know, all the answers to whatever questions you have, all the answers that he wants you to know, right there. Right there. So if we're truly living, as Jesus said, on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, then our first place to go to avoid ignorance is the word of God. So I would ask you the question, real simply, do you pick up the Bible to not be ignorant about the things of God? Or are you that person that when it's convenient, you just like to ask the questions? Well, I got a Bible, but like it's just more fun if I ask the preacher at random times, maybe right before he preaches. I love that. <laughs> no. No, we have the word of God. Is the law of God your delight or the promises of God your daily bread? Is the knowledge of God's word your heart's desire? If so, then pick it up. You will have the answers that you need. Be informed, not ignorant. A second encouragement, be hopeful, not despairing. As he continues, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Be hopeful, not despairing. Commentator Patrick Schreiner writes on this text that many ancient grave markers often bore the words, listen to this, they often bore the words, I was not, I was, I am not, I care not. Imagine replacing whatever your favorite Bible verse is that's going to be on your headstone with those hopeless words. I was not. I was. I am not. I care not. I don't know about you, but to surrender to the notion that nothing about your life and breath or your thoughts or your actions have any meaning at all is a crushing expectation to live with. And ironically, those who would embrace that, their own doctrine logically concludes for them that if they cease to exist, they no longer have the ability to care. He says, look, I don't want you to be uninformed because you'll end up grieving like those folks. You'll end up grieving like those who have no hope. These, these people that have no hope are, as he connects, the outsiders from previous in this, this book, in this letter. The outsiders, those who, as he says, who do not know God. And this doesn't mean that they, they don't have some kind of hope, but his point is that they just don't have the sure living hope that believers do in the resurrection of Jesus. You know, worldly hope is, is, is compared sometimes to uh, gambling. 
worldly hope in life after death has been, it's been compared to gambling. Like, what are you going to stake your life on so that when the end comes, there will be something good, something desirable, whatever, whatever you imagine, right? But in reality, it's worse. It's worse than just gambling. It's like gambling, but not knowing that any winnings will even be announced. I hope I did good enough. I hope I did enough good stuff. I hope there's something good on the other side. I hope this all turns out to have some kind of meaning. Folks, I, I, don't, know how, I don't know how you can live like that. I don't know how you can live like that. But the thing is, in our day, numerous philosophies will offer their hot take on life after death. But on what grounds? A good idea? They have no grounds to give you any assurance of what will be. And I'm telling you, on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus, we have this hope, living hope. We have the opportunity to proclaim to the world that this vapor of life is eternally significant. And they can lay aside all the the groping in the dark that they do all the anxious uncertainty, and we can, Christians, we can invite them to surrender to the God who defeated the grave, who secured everlasting life, who lives right now making intercession for us. And and that's where Paul goes. He takes us there in the next few verses. Be hopeful. Be hopeful, not despairing. Believer, that's what Paul wants them to know. You have hope transcends every other notion of hope you've ever had or anybody else has ever had. It's hope in the risen Christ. Thirdly, third encouragement, be in faith through the gospel. Be in faith through the gospel I want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The supreme encouragement toward comfort is faith in the one who died and rose again. Notice Notice right here, he doesn't tell us that Jesus fell asleep. He doesn't doesn't use the same language that he used for the state of believers. And this anchors us in the depth of the reality that Jesus died. He breathed his last. He's emphasizing the fact of Christ's death. He states the essence of what we actually believe, that Jesus died. Again, you're going to find many false teachings out there that explain away the death of Jesus. Paul reminds us, hey, he was dead, absolutely dead. As Hebrews says, Jesus' purpose that he might taste death for everyone. But also, as he says here, 
Not only did he die, but also he rose again. He took up his life again because death, Acts tells us, death could not hold him. So in this text, we have the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This is the bare bones, no frills, gospel truth. So if your gospel is not founded on anything related to the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have no true gospel. If your gospel is well, because, uh, you know, what, what is the gospel? It's, it's the hope that I can have eternal salvation in Jesus. That's not the gospel, folks. That's a benefit of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's an event that happened in history. The perfect Lord Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That is where all our hope is found. So please, please don't tell me that you, you shared the gospel with somebody when you said, oh, I'll pray for you. Friends, that's not the gospel. Or you said, God bless you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ's death and resurrection. Paul tells us 1 Corinthians 15. First importance, Christ died, was buried, he rose again. First importance. First importance. Also notice that he doesn't say since Jesus died and rose again. He says since we believe Jesus died and rose again. So the fact of the gospel is one thing. But the event of the gospel, the fact of the gospel does not automatically mean that you're all set. The gospel is a message that requires a response which is faith. That is wholehearted trust that Jesus' substitute sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to save you and you surrender to him as Lord. Now, sometimes we get mixed up. I mentioned it last week, maybe the week before. Sometimes we get mixed up about what faith actually does, okay? And I heard an illustration from Kevin DeYoung just this week that I think is extremely helpful and talking about how faith is the, what the reformers called an instrumental cause of our justification, our being made right with God. Don't worry about that word instrumental, but for some of you, that's like, oh yeah, that's helpful. He compared it to, uh, as he is from the north, walking on ice. But I remember, even as a kid growing up in East Memphis and Germantown, there were a couple of occasions where we had some super, super cold weather. And where I lived, they were building a lot of houses, and they would dig out, you know, ponds so that they could build up the, where the houses were being built, because it was right by the Wolf River. Huge ponds. We've seen them down here. Huge ponds that would be dug out. And so, in, in these really, really cold uh, snaps, uh, some of those ponds would freeze over pretty solid. And kids don't ever do this. But you know the temptation is to see if you can walk on it. And when you step out on that ice, what you are exhibiting is the instrumental cause of your being held up 
But what is actually holding you up? It's the ice. Look, folks, when you believe in Jesus, it is not your faith that upholds you. It is Jesus. It is his perfect work. It is his accomplished salvation. So the reason you don't fall through to an eternity in hell is because he is that foundation. And your faith is stepping out and recognizing that salvation. And so Paul says these words, since we believe, because this gospel, this salvation, this future resurrection, the hope that we have in Jesus is only appropriated to you, applied to you in the event of your faith. The gospel is the event that accomplishes our salvation. Didn't we sing it just a moment ago? The words are going blank on me. When that blood was applied at the cross. Be in faith through the gospel. Fourthly, fourthly, Be comforted by the truth. And this very briefly, very briefly, he continues there. For since we believe Jesus, that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Be comforted by the truth. His resurrection, as the Bible says, the firstborn from among the dead means that there will be many more that will come after him. In the same way, Romans 6, 5, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So take comfort from this verse's promise about those who have fallen asleep. God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. These mortal Bodies will not be abandoned. Let that comfort build your confidence. Even as you, the believing saint, walk through this earthly life and may that confidence and comfort be its strongest when you are staring death in the face. I know there may be some among us that have more frequent thoughts about death. You know, I was talking with my mother who's battling cancer. I was talking with her yesterday, and you know what she said? She said, all through my life, I never, never even thought, never even thought about getting cancer. But you know where, in her mortal flesh, do you know where her thoughts are most of the time? Thinking about what is coming. Will it be the end? There are some among us who have more thoughts than others about the end. And my hope for you is you here preaching every week, as you get exposure to the word of God and the encouragement of the saints, as you hear these encouragements today, I hope it's, it comes to that day. When, that's de- when that day is upon you, you will be able to resound with gospel truth and say, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? 
But we have the victory, Paul says, in our Lord Jesus Christ. So be comforted by that truth, saints. Be informed, not ignorant. Be hopeful, not despairing. Be in faith through the gospel. Be comforted by the truth. That's our first four encouragements. And we'll jump into the second. I think we'll get, I think we'll get these in. Concerning those saints alive, he tells us in verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. All right, so we've heard that he is going to take care of those who have died or in the grave. They're going to, they're going to be resurrected. But then those who are living still will be, as he continues here, caught up, will be caught up together. That's where we get our word, the word rapture from that very text right there. So those saints who are Alive. I'm going to give you this encouragement. Well, two encouragements here. First off, take God at his word. Take God at his word. You notice there in 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Take God at his word. Those dead saints aren't missing from God's plan, yet neither are you. Those who live and believe when Christ returns are next on the list for this mesmerizing day of Christ's advent Verse 17 continues to tell us that we will always be with the Lord. Always be with the Lord. And then we look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and it expands the thought that when Christ returns, he will be, quote, glorified in his saints and marveled at among all who have believed. Now, in revealing these things the, the, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, Paul has the awareness at this point to recognize and remind us that this is a word from the Lord. Paul is not writing as though it's like, oh, but I got to tell him something. I got to give him some kind of good answer here. No, I'm reminding you that this comes from God himself. This is the word from the Lord. This is what we have been revealed. Is that enough for you? Can you take God at his word? Is it enough for you? Now, I'm serious here. Is it enough for you to take God at his word? Because there are an endless supply of teachers and preachers who would love to tickle your ear with fanciful, imaginative ideas. And we are certainly in the days when, as Paul writes to Timothy, local churches, as, as he says, accumulate for themselves. They accumulate. It's the local churches that say, ah, oh, we don't like what he preaches. Let's get a guy that preaches what we want to hear. They will find these teachers and accumulate these teachers to do this very thing. What we're hearing from the word of God, the revelation of God is not enough. Give us a little something more. As Thomas Brooks write, he says, writes, he says, false teachers easily pass over the great and weighty things of both law and gospel and stand most upon those things 
that are of the least moment and concernment to the souls of men. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you need to be careful of any preacher or pastor who has built his name and fame on teaching the end times. Be very careful. And I'll read for you 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. As I urged you, this is Paul to Timothy, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations, speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and good conscience and sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So I would tell you again, those preachers, those pastors that have built their ministries on the end times, beware. You know what, what other thing they do? They're going to tell you a lot of stuff in a very confident manner. They're going to be real confident about their assertions. Beware. So how are you guarding against that? How are you guarding against that? How are you guarding against wandering into myths? As I heard recently concerning Paul's declaration to the saints at Corinth, you know, he says, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And as I heard this, he also reminded, it's real easy to say that at the beginning of your ministry. It's not so easy to say that at the end. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We sheep are prone to wander, prone to leave, prone to exchange the beatific vision of Christ for the latest trending word of man. Let's take God at his word, and that's where we're going to stop. I thought we could get to two, but let's stop right there. Now I want to ask you about the hope. This hope is yours, believer, in Christ. If you do not have this kind of hope, it's because you're not picking it up from the word. Today, maybe you need to repent of ill, wrong thoughts about God, about the assurance of the future, about the return of Christ. Maybe there's repentance and faith for you in that measure today. But there are also those who simply, you would say, I don't have the hope that comes through the gospel. I need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm willing today to say, I'm turning from everything that I thought was, was good about me, that I thought was, was hopeful about me, like I was going to get to the end and, and, and maybe I would receive some sort of a good response from God or whoever it was. 
Maybe it's a day you recognize, like, there is no hope in that. It is emptiness. And in fact, according to the word of God, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, you are reserved, John 3.18, for that condemnation in hell. So repent, believing on Jesus for your salvation, and you will have all the hope that we just spoke about, all the confidence to walk through your life and know that in the end, you have victory. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for the, the comforting encouragements. Thank you for the, the reminder that you've given us these words to give us the foresight, the hope, the knowledge that we need to look for that coming of Christ and be glorified in him. We pray, Father, that we would maintain the focus that you have given us in this text, the focus of Christ, to be satisfied in him too, as Paul says, keep him the priority, first importance, Father, help us to do this even as we respond. May we know and see and be transformed as we believe on Jesus. We pray in his name.